Well, uh, Tanner, my neighbor, welcome to the Running Educator Podcast. Uh, I'm Mike. Host, Mike, and Com- Mike Cummings. And- Mike, my neighbor, welcome to the Email Over Easy Podcast. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and in this collaborative effort, we are going to tackle some serious questions. And it's relating to mental health that COVID has been put on not only teenagers, but frontline workers, healthcare providers, and also the population that I'm seeing in the ER, which is um, a lot of people of all different walks of life. Right. So just to give a little background on my perspective, you know, I'm a, I'm a clinical educator at a mental health facility for teenagers from 12 years old to 17, uh, dealing with uh, any types of multiple types of mental health issues, uh, along with addiction. And for people who don't know me, I'm an ER physician. I typically travel around the country working in uh, different locations um, and uh, absolutely love my job. But I do see a pretty heavy dose of mental health, uh, as do a lot of the ER uh, personnel around the country, because it's one of those things that we just need more help with that area for sure. And it's uh, going to affect everybody. And that's the biggest thing. We're not only focusing on what is affecting now. I mean, we're what, almost... (laughs) little over almost a year like nine yeah right around nine months I think, nine months of, into this and it's getting worse and i don't really see it slowing down but that's a whole nother podcast <laughs> um so let's let's start off with you know the predictions of mental health issues relating to covid and i always want to start with my guests i want to know what perceptions and perce- perspectives you've seen in the er and not only that like in the locker room, I mean, when you guys are just chatting or going to bed or whatever, I mean, there's got to be a lot of different things that are going on in the world, especially in the ER. Yeah, I, I mean, predicting mental health issues is is tough at baseline, but um, when you throw in a pandemic, oh, it's it's going to be from a from a scientific scientific standpoint very interesting, but uh, also I think I think it's going to be bad. You know, I, I, I can't attest to, you know, what the psychiatrists and psychologists are seeing around the country. But um, from what I'm seeing in the ER, we're already seeing a pretty heavy uptick of some of some mental health patients, um, which is always a difficult thing and challenge to work with because uh, resources for them are already hard to come by. Uh, but then also within my own field, uh, the ER physicians, nurses, respiratory therapists, um, the, the frontline, like EMS crews and the hospitalists and, and all the people in the hospitals, this was a thing we were not necessarily mentally prepared for. If you get my drift, like this is not a, a common occurrence to have a brand new disease thrown in front of us and then have to just scramble to figure it out. And while I think we've overall as a, a healthcare community done pretty well of trying to manage this completely new disease process. It is taking its toll, and it's going to take its toll quite a bit, I think, in the next several years. Um, I mean, you you see a lot of different people already starting to break, whether it's stressed at work, whether it's taking too many shifts, whether it's being just crushed with COVID patient after COVID patient after COVID patient, um, having to process how these patients are dying with nobody around them because their family members can't be in the hospital. Um it, it's taking a, a toll on every single one of us in, in different ways, depending on where you are in the whole process. And so I, I think while, yes, it's hard to deal with right now, the lasting effects are going to be pretty heavy. Oh, absolutely. And, and, I, and I can only imagine, like, 
and I'm I'm looking for from a family perspective, like you're away, and and even some of these doctors or nurses that are quarantined because they can't even go home to their families. I mean, think of the divorce rate that could potentially oh, yeah. be that could be just catastrophic. Um, you know, and not only that, the relationship issues that patients and doctors, nurses, staff are are all witnessing with this, and and just the the PTSD that could even be formulated from these like you said witnessing somebody's last breath and being that only person there and then having to relay that information that soul that person's story or whatever like hey i'm sorry your dad just passed i mean it doesn't get very easy but as as far as a, a an adolescence program that that i'm i'm in you know i'm seeing kids that are not coping very well they don't have the coping skills and not only that they have the families to to initiate the the coping skills or be the supportive family that they need in a time of crisis and like you said nobody's prepared for this um and you know you have kids that come in with oppositional defiant syndrome or you know asperger's autistic uh even ptsd to schizophrenia I mean, and try to explain again yeah. irrationality to you know an irrational mind, or you know, in, in trying to make some sanity of it, it's it's that that's just the kids died, and and again, these kids are eight from twelve to seventeen. I, I have I have a sixth grader in there. Think about a sixth grader. My son's in sixth grade. I couldn't imagine my kid in a mental health facility seeking help for his problems, and then going home and doing it all over again, right? Um, but not only that, like the staff we've had, we're on the same thing. We, you know, we're getting tested every day. We do our temperature checks every morning as we get in. If you have a temperature over 100.4, you're not allowed in. And, um, we have some, you know, clients that don't adhere to that. Mm -hmm. And so that, again, that's a whole nother safety issue. But, you know, we've had staff members that have been exposed and they had to go through the quarantine and go through the telehealth. Same thing with, um, you know, clients that have had COVID and they had to do the telehealth communication. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very alarming and how this is transpiring with, you know, the mental health issues. It's funny. COVID. You, you kind of, you said a phrase that I think hits both of these sides very well, which is the support system. The support systems aren't in place for something of this magnitude, right? We, we weren't preparing for a pandemic for, you know, years to know how to handle this. And now when it's kind of hit us in the face, we're all scrambling, trying to pick up the pieces. And some places are doing it very well. Some places are doing it very poorly. And, and it's putting a lot of strain and stress on each individual to try to create a support system out of nowhere, um, with something they weren't intending to have to do. And, and for, Adolescents, I can only imagine, especially if they already have issues that they're dealing with trying to work through. And then all of a sudden now they have restrictions on the access that they used to have or the people they were used to be able to see or talk with or be around. Um, that would be incredibly hard. And, and the only reason I know that is because, I mean, I don't have necessarily, um, uh, major mental issues that are, that I'm being treated with right now, but I'm still seeing that same exact issue with if I don't, if my support system's not there or it hasn't been created yet, it's extremely hard in this scenario to balance that out and still have and maintain, uh, you know, a normal life 
Yeah. And, and it's just almost impossible. Yeah. Um, and so I can see how that is maybe one of the core issues um, for the whole pandemic is if we don't have a support system set up for something like this, that's when things start to fall apart and maybe finding ways to better create support systems or easily accessible support systems, whether it's through telehealth or making telehealth a little more personable um, or, you know, whether it's having uh, the abilities to have people get together somehow to, to, to talk about things or work through stuff. I mean, it's, it, it's a really, really interesting concept to see that your world has very similar issues as our world. Yeah. Well, and, and just to kind of give a little background too, you know, I've done podcasts on suicide. I've done depression. I've done anxiety and it was all pre COVID. <laughs> and so, you know, you try to talk to kids about support systems, right. And dealing with anxiety and, and setting boundaries. I mean, how do you set boundaries when you're so confined, right. And you need an outlet or you need to go away or just step, step aside. You have, it's almost like Island fever. You, you have no real escape if, if needed. And, um, you know, uh, the suicide rate I know has gone up and it's just going to continue to go up um, because so many people, and we also have to think about those people that are living alone, yeah. um, adults that are single, that have family and, and they can't just go, Hey mom and dad, how you doing? I'm stopping by. I mean, that's all been relegated. Right. Mm -hmm. And so those people particularly are so isolated, so alone that there's no real, you know, way to help them but through the screen and and again that's you, you can't get relationships through a screen i'm sorry to say no. um and and you're not going to be able to accomplish what you needed to do and you know our program's five weeks and we're barely just scratching the surface um because the other part of this too is that we have kids that are going to school so i have to deal with transitioning them into online school or oh, figure yeah. out how to do paperwork or, or, you know, their support systems at school with their counselors, their teachers totally ripped away from them and they, they don't know how this works. And so luckily the online has kind of helped, but it's not that the other yeah. part is suffering is the educational part, man. It's, it's so crazy how everything is interconnected with this and, and the issues transcend all different populations within our, our country. And there was a, there was a commercial, no joke. I was crying at the end of this commercial um, and uh, that long story short, it was, it was a political commercial, but it doesn't, that part doesn't matter that what matters is that it was showing a, a healthcare provider who walks out of the hospital after a shift looks exhausted, you know, that you can see the marks on their face where their N95 mask was for probably 12 hours and they just look beat. And it's a phone call between her and her mom. And she is, she is distraught. She's, exhausted. She's tired. She's tearful. And her mom's trying to comfort her through a phone, which normally in real life, that's, that's enough to get you bridge you right until you can get to that humanistic point of touch hug, you know, whatever that, that other next step you need to, to help you process the, the difficulties you're having. Um, but she couldn't and, because it's a pandemic and her mom's older and higher risk. And so she, she, uh, she's just telling her that she's, she's done. She can't, she can't do this anymore. She's burnt out. She's toast, which is everything that I mean, I've gone through feelings like that. I know many of my colleagues and, and coworkers that have gone through that. 
and uh and they you know fast forward and she hurt the the healthcare worker shows up at her mom's door and they're inches from each other but separated by a pane of glass mm. and they have to they put their hands on the glass oh i'm gonna i'm tearing up right now just think about <laughs> it because because they want to touch so bad they need that human interaction to Shoot. help with what's going on and they can't have it because of the risk of this stupid disease yeah and so it's like man i you know from kids to adults to to the elderly to the the children it's it's getting all of us yeah well and and again just bouncing back from what you were saying uh, my classes are pretty small. We, you know, we have 14 uh, students, but we separate them out. So usually I only have seven and seven, right? And so from a teacher's perspective, I have a lot of my teacher friends that are questioning their, their profession. And they didn't sign up for online learning. And, yeah. and like you are just saying, I'm going to touch on the, the, the touch part. The human interaction is so vital for any educational learning environment because if you and and my son is one of these people he needs to have that on you type interaction he needs to have hey gavin how are you doing and not through the screen or the plexiglass that's separating somebody um you know uh i'm a big social emotional learning guy and um you know i'm a i'm a hugger i'm a high fiver i'm i i love doing that giving knuckles and it's so awkward for me to be like when a kid does something right and I can't reward it because I'm afraid of this stupid disease. Oh yeah, I'm 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 up, and it's just it de the awkward elbow. And yeah, yeah, it devalues the authentic emotion that I'm giving to the praise of man. You just made a great break. Here you go. You know, here's my elbow. You know, yeah. and that kind of stuff. And so, it's it's it is it's going to be a mental health. You know, shit show <laughs> yeah. coming from, you know, not just now, but five, ten years down the road. And I'm hoping that schools are preparing what they can do during the day to get more access and get more counseling and get that social emotional learning out. So, well, I, yeah, I think uh, I think you're definitely going to see a certain percentage of the population that's going to struggle with human contact after this is done. Um, that was already an issue for many people beforehand, but now you're going to have, you know, a year's worth of don't get close to anybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I watch, I watch TV shows from like the nineties or the two thousands right now. And I get anxious because they're all close to each other, right. which is the weirdest reaction ever to have. It's like, <laughs> why is that ER? There's no like sealed doors. There's no, no one's wearing masks. Like this is weird. Yep. Um, you know. Why, why are all the friends on friends all sitting on a couch together? That's so yep. bizarre. Yep. Um, yeah. But the, uh, you know, we're going to have to reteach ourselves that. Yeah. We're going to have to champion people to help push some of us through those, those barriers that we're going to have built up over so long. Yeah. Um, and I think that's going to be part of the healing process is learning to be a normal human again. Yeah, definitely uh, retraining humans and, and, just kind of touching up on a couple of facts. Um, you know, a lot of people have been comparing this to the Spanish flu. And, you know, the Spanish flu survivors reported sleep disturbances, depression, mental distraction, dizziness, difficulties coping at work uh, with the influential dates, you know, deaths that were going through that. Um, there was a lot of relations to suicide as well. Um, and, you know, I think you're you're totally right. Being rewired as a human to learn how to love again, to say that out loud just sounds like totally bizarre. 
But even if there's like a a, a, a cure, I mean, what? That's not a guarantee. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's just, it's so sad to be in this situation and not to say that this could have been prevented, um, but we could have done a better job if we would have listened and we would have put the mask on and, and we would have quarantined and, and isolated ourselves more. But, um, and I get that, that businesses are being affected and, but if we stop being selfish and know that everybody's being affected and we can all help each other, because like I said, in, in Idaho, I, I mean, what do we have? 261 cases just new today and well in our county or just in our yeah ada yeah. county not yeah the we're state. we're yeah we're, <laughs> we're you know over a thousand a day or whatever yeah. in the state and we're hitting records every day basically right now and um and that's tough because we we did so good early on right but unfortunately for us it was it was not the timing that we needed we needed we needed a good response early but not like the crazy lockdown and we needed to balance our response out so that appropriate times we could we could really ramp things up and people weren't burnt out from it mm-hmm. um but but we are like that's and that's the hard part about this is the way everything's gone within our country whether it you know whether it's political whether it's scientific <laughs> whether it's you know anything it was it was too much of a mishmash as opposed to a here's how we can get through this and and i think a lot of that comes back to kind of the same things we were talking about earlier no one was ready for this yeah Yep. At least not enough people were ready for it. There yep. probably were many people who are experts in, you know, pandemics or or infectious disease that had mm-hmm. thought about this, but there wasn't enough or enough people in the right places potentially to do that. So Right. Well, even those doomsday preppers were not <laughs> not ready. So, uh unfortunately, but you know, going back to how COVID-19 is different from previous pandemics, um and again, I'm bringing back the Spanish flu. Um this is some of the things that have impacted, you know, comparing today to 1918, you know, you look how, how people lived in, in, in farms and small towns, you know, and industry obviously was in its earliest stages. And, you know, you look at us now, I mean, look at New York, which was the epicenter, right? And you got Washington and, and, and so all those, but I still think it's very fascinating to see that you still have all these, well, let's just not forget our, all these riots and, you know, everything else going on. And there's not a lot of things that are coming out of that. Uh, there's not a lot of people that are being called out for protesting and coming up with COVID because they are wearing masks and they are protecting themselves and they are adhering to that. Um, but what are your thoughts as far as, you know, comparing the living quarters to today to the to the you know 1918 uh spanish flu uh i mean it's it's tough to know 100 percent because i'm not a historian i wish drew was on right now because he he's a history major um and he would love questions like this and i know he's done some research on previous pandemics for these kind of exact thoughts but from from what i understand you know very different concepts in terms of living uh, quarters and, and how things were going then. I mean, yes, you have individual houses in certain areas of the country right now, but you also have a lot of people crammed into very, uh, small areas, um, in terms of the big cities and the metropolis type setup. So, you know, when you have a lot of people in a lot in a small area, that's just an easy place for infections to travel through, whether it's COVID or just the normal influenza or the normal common cold. Um, it, it happens. 
Um, so yeah, I think that's definitely one of the big issues that we've seen is, you know, you have massive populations crammed together. It's going to spread. Yeah. Well, and again, it, 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 if you look at the travel back in obviously 1918, it wasn't, you know, they could jump on a plane and away they go. And so that's the point of this question is being the spread and how contagious this really is. Um, you know, they, there's been so many reports as far as like, oh, airplane filters and, and house filters and car filters and what it touches, what it lives on and whatnot. Um, I really don't care if it's that contagious. And I mean, even like right now, we're sitting six feet away. You've been in another state. You've been in an, in your hospital. I've been in my hospital. I've had, you know, so it's, it's those things that you think about. And like, even when I was leaving my house, I mean, you're, you're a house away and my wife's like, are you sure you want to do this? I was like, yeah, I want to go hang out with Tanner. <laughs> no no so, joke. Like my, my wife, as soon as I was walking out the door, she's like, make sure you're six feet away. And I was like, we're more than six feet. The garage door is open. Like it's open air flowing. We're okay. Yeah. Um, but, but that's the stuff that we're thinking about, right. which is kind of crazy. Like, yeah. You know, well, and that's that rewiring. That's, that's what we're going to have to reteach. Like, oh yeah, I can actually, I, I haven't hugged my dad since January. Gosh knows. Actually his birthday. Yeah. And so, you know, and we, we, I go and hang out and talk to him on, on front porch or whatnot, but, um, it's, it's just so crazy the frequency of flus and how they change and how this one has been so, again, the spread of it. It's just been pretty crazy. What do you see physically? And let's, let's take both people that do not have it and have had it. I mean, we've seen some of the results of people having some uh, physiological, you know, damage to the heart. Uh, and they're like, it doesn't even go to the heart. It affects the lungs. Well, that's cardiovascular. You know, you got to look at that. So what is your, your outcome or your prediction as far as what you might see of the number of deaths or even rises of cases of COVID and then the aftermath of what the, the physical effects of this disease on the body? Uh, yeah. So a lot of that is, is pretty tough to answer because there's so many variables that go into you know, total deaths and, uh, the total cases we end up with. And, and there's a lot that has to happen in the next, you know, one month, two months, six months, year before we're going to have any idea of those answers. Um, there's, there's people a lot smarter than me with numbers that know how to kind of make better predictions. But the thing that's pretty easy for, you know, a straightforward ER doc mind is, if we don't start doing better efforts at it, it's just going to get worse. And we've seen that over the last several months as I think, you know, just a week ago, the 38 plus States were hitting record highs in terms of numbers, hospitalizations have been following and, and you can see the pattern over and over. It's re it's really easy to see as cases start to rise beyond uh, a certain percent positives that you get within a certain area of living, meaning more people are having positive tests than, uh, than we would like, that means the spread is beyond our testing, mm -hmm. which means that you have active, rapidly increasing spread within a community. And once that starts to go up, usually about somewhere between a week or 10 days later, you start having hospitalizations go up because those people who took, you know, somewhere between seven and 14 days to incubate their disease, they start getting symptoms, their symptoms slowly get worse, they start getting hospitalized. And about a 10 or so days after that is when you see the 
ICU and deaths start to go up as well. Right. And so it's just, it's a cascade, right? It's very easy. You start seeing spread a little bit later, you start seeing hospitalizations and a little bit later you start seeing deaths. Mm-hmm. And there's no doubt in my mind that we're probably going to be seeing increased deaths in at least our state in the next week or so because of our increased numbers from a week ago. Right. <laughs> and it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's pretty easy to see where that's going. Now the question is how, how far is that going to go? And I don't know because it all comes down to what we do with it, how we affect it. I mean, part of the reason that our, our, the death rate has gone, we've been able to get it down when, for people who are infected with COVID is because we've become smarter. We've learned mm-hmm. over the course of months how to treat these patients appropriately. If, if you look back to when the first month or so of this thing started, the ER docs that were talking to each other around the country we're scrambling, right? We're trying to figure out the best way to treat these patients because we've never seen this disease. We've never seen a disease where people walk in and they look pretty good and their oxygenation is in the 50s and 60s of the percentile, which is not good. And so normally that's a patient that walks in and I need to intubate them right away. That's mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, that's not good. Let's get you, we need to get you breathing, um, get you some oxygenation. But unfortunately, in COVID patients, and, and, you know, that was the big push for ventilators early on because we're like, man, if this is truly, we need ventilators, we're screwed. Mm-hmm. And so that was a big push for ventilators early. But then we learned, we learned that the people who are going on ventilators are really not doing well. And if we can avoid the ventilators using other tricks we have with other ways to help breathing and oxygenation and ventilation, we can actually bridge them until their body starts to recover, mm-hmm. which was great. So that dropped our death percentage. But now... The thing that's starting to really worry a lot of us is the long-term effects of the coagulation issues that we're seeing where you have blood clotting that can affect all parts of the, uh, the, the body in terms of wherever your blood vessels go could have issues. So you're talking blood clots in the lungs, you're talking uh, strokes, you're talking uh, heart attacks, um, that kind of stuff. But then also you have the, the typical things that viral illnesses can cause, side effects such as myocarditis, which you're seeing in some athletes that have, you know, essentially shut them down for months to probably a year or so, if not completely ruining their careers, if they're a professional athlete. Um, so there's the problem again is, you know, go back to the, the original thing we were talking about. This is a brand new disease that we've never seen before. So we really don't know. And we're learning on the fly. And one of the, my favorite things I've heard so far about this whole COVID epidemic pandemic is you have to approach this and, and realize that this is a scientific process. So you're going to, you're going to make a hypothesis or a guess. You're going to put that to a test, whether that's just patients coming in or treatments or drugs or whatever. You're going to see the results, interpret those results, and then make a decision off those results and use that information to try it again. Mm-hmm. And then you wash, rinse, repeat over and over and over. So the statements that were said six months ago in this pandemic have very little bearing on our current scientific process where we are now because we've learned from then. And so I think this is going to be one of those things like, you know, it's hard for me to predict how many total deaths because we may know something completely different in three months from now of, Hey, here's, here's a really easy solution. Mm -hmm. I mean, no joke earlier tonight, I was reading an article and yeah, it, it, this is obviously not a, a final thing, but there is some success in a nasal spray used on ferrets that, to prevent them from getting COVID. And I'm not saying that that is a, you know, that's the solution to our, our, our thing. But 
the reality is, is the vaccine is going to be really hard to come by. We've never been able to make a vaccine that, that treats a virus like this before. And I have faith with the entire world of really smart people working on it that we probably can, but I don't want to just put all my eggs in one basket, right? Right. Like if you're waiting for a vaccine, you're doing the wrong thing. We need to be doing all the other stuff beforehand. You do the mask, the social distancing, the, you know, listening to the people who are the experts. And then if there is some science out there who can make some nasal spray that prevents ferrets from getting COVID-19 and we can extrapolate that to humans and we can get some humans. And now all of a sudden every day, you just want to not get COVID. You just spray yourself in the nose and walk out and you can hang out with your friends. Great. I'll do it. Right. Um, Absolutely. You know, I don't know if that's the final solution, but it's, you know, it's part of the process. You got to use science. That that's the hope. I mean, and so, you know, kind of circling back around to the problem and the mental health aspects that we're seeing from this, even watching you talk about the death rates going up. I was like, Oh boy, there goes Tanner's freaking anxiety. He's going up <laughs> as well. So, you know, um, and so those are the things that I'm hoping that people can take away. And like I said, this is just, this is like wiping the dirt off of this, the, the window. This is, this is just to get people aware of we're all in this. We are all suffering, you know, and, and I've done other, uh, my, my previous podcast, you know, to talking to other people and, and knowing how to, and what to look forward to and how to, um, you know, the signs that somebody is showing that is struggling, that's not very easy at showing their emotions. Um, and that's the same thing you need to do for your, 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 your coworkers. You need to do that. Check in on them, uh, have a check-in system with somebody, uh, you know, FaceTime them if you can, you know, even little simple gestures of leaving a Snickers or something like that on the front door and just walking away or whatever. Um, it will help boost and produce more endorphins that we can get, uh, to those people that need it. Um, cause I, I'm a big, you know me, I'm a big runner. I run. If I have a hard day at work, I'm going to go run, but not everybody has that luxury. Not everybody can just step out or have a bike or ride on a, you know, a, a stationary bike or whatever. So, um, my hope from this podcast is to help people understand from a medical perspective of what they're going through and how they're dealing with it behind the scenes and and not only that the educational part of this of how you know education is affecting our kids and 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 the pandemic is affecting everybody along the way and uh you know um it's it's tough and we're all in this together we can all help one another out and um and and defeat not only covid physically but it can help you know the emotional tanks as well well said yeah i i know it's been tough you know, personally for me, just because I, I know the stress that I felt and I know that my friends and coworkers and, and, and other staff have felt it too. Um, the it's, it's hard, man. Like, you know, it's, it's hard for caring for patients when I have to wear full PPE and I can't sit down next to them and, you know, shake their hand. Yeah. Um, that just makes it really difficult to have that connection that you need to just feel like you're doing something right. Mm-hmm. Um, probably one of my favorite moments in the last few months, I walk in full PPE, you know, I got my, my hat on my goggles on my face mask my, or my three face masks and 95s on covering each other so that, you know, protect myself. I got the, uh, <laughs> thanks Blake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> that's our other neighbor he wasn't invited <laughs> yeah, yeah our other neighbor wasn't invited um 
I, you know, I have the rest of my PPE on and, and I'm sitting there, I'm talking to a patient who has COVID symptoms and I'm explaining to them everything that's going on. It's you know 3 a.m. Whatever my fifth sh- night shift in a row, I'm toast, but I'm doing my thing because I have to. And you know, that's, that's what I signed up for to help people and, and, and walk them through the issues that they have, whether it's COVID or a broken bone or surgery or whatever. And they stopped and, and said, okay. And I was like, do you have any other questions? And they said, I want to know how you're doing. Mm. Dude, talk about crushing blow. Yeah. Like took my breath away because even though like I have my wife and family and, and, you know, some, some friends that ask that you don't get it the same amount that you used to. And so, especially when you're in the middle of, of whatever crap that you're dealing with, that was so nice. It was like this breath of fresh air of just like took my breath away and then just filled me up with, Oh my gosh, someone actually cares. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that, that's a humanistic response. I mean, that that's, that's the emotional intelligence that we're trying to get across the board here um, to let people be aware that it's okay to ask how you were doing. And yeah, and, and I guess, yeah, the point of my story is to kind of, you know, as Andy would say, dovetail off of you and say, please reach out to the people you know, and even the people you don't know. If you, if you happen to walk by your grocery checkout clerk and they're wearing their mask or behind their plexiglass and just like stop and say, hey, you doing okay today? Like, how you doing? Thank you for standing there and doing this because I couldn't get my groceries if you weren't working. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah, simple that, things like that go a long way. It is. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree. And, and as you were kind of talking like, just to kind of end the, the teaching rant of this as well, like, you know, when, it, when a student comes up, hey, hey, you don't have a mask on, you got to stay six feet, you know, or, all right, you know, I remember trying to help that, that side-by-side interaction. Yeah. It does, it, it's very difficult and you can't, you know, get in personal space to help a student with their, their um, you know, their homework or their, or whatever they're dealing with. And so, like you said, just... Saying one little nice thing goes a long ways, and it, it does remind that there is hope and that there is an end in sight, and and there will be a hug at the end of it, um, and that's one of the things I'm totally looking forward to, um, and you know, through everybody that I've met through podcasting, and and just even people that I've met through the clinic, and and my neighbors and my family, uh, you know, uh, extended family, anyways. But uh, Tanner. Um, so good we finally got this together, man. Dude, this was really fun. It's a great, great collaboration. So yeah, we'll we'll definitely be doing more in the future. I know Drew is super jealous because he's the one that's been using our Twitter account to talk to you on your Twitter account because mm-hmm. he's an avid runner. So I think he was sucked into your uh, your title just from the very beginning. Oh wow, that's good to know. Well, well, and I'm I'm hoping that we can you know there's there's so many things that we can bounce off of this just this episode that we are, are hitting. Yeah, there's many future podcasts to come. Yes, yes, yes. So and hopefully there'll be not six feet we can. Yeah, <laughs> anyway, but I do thank you for allowing me to be on your podcast. Um, this is the Running Educator Podcast. I'm Mike Cummings and my friend Tanner and his wonderful podcast. Game over easy. There it is. Hey, EM Over Easy listeners, this is Tanner here just wrapping this up. I want to throw a quick shout out to Mike and the Running Educator Podcast. He's done a fantastic job getting this podcast up and going and uh, really recommend you check out and see if you can find a topic you enjoy. He has some fantastic background with over 20 years in educational leadership. 
And his episodes oftentimes reflect a lot of what we try to do here at Emo Over Easy. And with that, I hope all of you have a fantastic day. Please feel free to check us out online, as you all know, on our blog site, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or any place else that you pretty much browse these days when you're stuck at home. Stay safe out there. Simply waste valuable time.